Well, I hope you didn't hear me what I said about that fine man. <laughs> he might have had something to do with it not being on. I don't know. I appreciate Brother Tooley. I've been to his church, I don't know, three or four times in England there. And uh, they have a good work and reaching people. I think the last time I was there, and he's probably broke the record since, but the last time we was there, we broke the attendance record. And I asked him, I said, how many people were here today that were from England that are, you know, there were four. There were people from all over the world. I mean, Afghanistan, Uzbekistan, China, Africa, America. There were people from everywhere there. And he's uh, doing a faithful job. He's been there a long, long time, over a quarter of a century. Very few missionaries last over a quarter of a century in this day and age in which we live. And I appreciate him. And I support him myself and have for a long, long time. And I appreciate their labors. And I've eaten in their home. I think we stayed in your home a couple of times when I was over there. But he's a good man, a fine brother. Thank God for him. Appreciate the other missionaries that are here tonight. And folks, good crowd, wonderful Monday night crowd. And I pray that God would help us to be faithful the next couple of nights. And I pray that the Lord would. Appreciate the good. I think it turned off. Who, who is running this? <laughs> Mickey Mouse Club or something. I don't know. I'm asking him. Yeah. Oh. Went straight down. You start, we'll hook you back up. If you I'll want. just stand here. Oh, no, we don't trust you that much. <laughs> Let's see, what could we talk about? <laughs> oh, it's, a, it's a blessing to be here and a fellowship with your pastor. I love your pastor and his wife and family. And uh, we have good talks and uh, I appreciate the music tonight. I, I loved all three of those songs. Uh, that special Beth Bethlehem, Calvary, and all that uh, Jesus has done for us, and that other song, whatever the name of that was, everyone was a blessing about uh, New Grace. I think Brother uh, Tom Hayes wrote that, if my memory's right. And, and then that last song. You know that last song, you know, I said over there, it kind of reminded me, and I know you people live down here in uh, warmer climates, than I've lived in most of my life. I know in uh, even southern Ohio where I live, we have a little bit of snow, a little bit of cold weather. And uh, it kind of felt like, now I'm not a lady at all. Never been, I've never been a woman once in my whole life. <laughs> I never even thought I was. But I have a wife. I have a lady that I love and lives with me. And sometimes when the weather is uh, tough. We're going to hook you up. I have no idea what you're saying. Yeah, it's, well, it's really kind of lost of its <laughs> effectiveness now. <laughs> ah, so. I told my wife about this somewhere where I was. Oh, last week where I was preaching in North Carolina, I did the same stuff. Come up and fool around while you're talking and messes up your train of thought and everything else. <laughs> Goodness gracious. This has been a wonderful night up until now. Uh, but you know, I, you know, if you're a gentleman and maybe you're out to a restaurant or maybe you're coming home from church or something and the weather's got bad and snowing 
and you help your wife on with her coat, overcoat, and you put your arm around her and protect her to get her back to the car. And I don't know how a lady feels about that. My wife, she always tells me when I open the door for her, going someplace, and I put my hand right there in the small of her back, she smiles at me. She said, I like that. And I kind of felt like tonight that the Lord and that music just kind of put a warm coat around us and put his arms around us, told us that he loved us, and he cares about everything that goes on in our lives. And he does. And you see, you know, one of these days, we are going to be a bride, fellas. <laughs> We're going to be the bride of Christ. And you ladies, too. And to be married to him forever. You say, do you understand all that? No, but I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to enjoy every moment of the wedding. And thank God I've been betrothed to him. I've got the engagement ring on. Brother Laddie got it when he was seven. I got it when I was 21. <laughs> and we're going to have a consummation in glory one of these days. And I think a couple of other people talked about it in their testimony. I think what you ought to do is take this microphone around to these people that are giving their testimony so I, old, men, old people like me up here, I can hear what they're saying. It'd be nice. Have one of these, you know, that'd be a good job for you, son. <laughs> Bless your heart. <laughs> I want you to look in your book, if you went to the 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews. The 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews. And I'm just going to read the first two verses. And I'll talk to you for a few minutes tonight. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. He said, teaching stimulates the mind. Thus, it affects the intellect. But preaching lays a demand at the doorstep of one's heart, affecting the inner man and eternity. Hebrews 12 and 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Father, we thank you for everything that our hearts have felt tonight. And that warm coat of your blessing that's been placed on our shoulders. And it seems like maybe you put your arm around us and whispered in our ear and kissed our cheek and told us how much you loved us and cared for us. I pray, Lord, it would help us to be faithful. Help us to be true. Help us to live right. Help us to lay aside every weight 
that does so easily beset us. They come from every direction. Sometimes from directions we, I can't hardly believe that's happened from here. Why did it come from there? Sometimes it's at work. Sometimes it's family situations. Sometimes it's conflict with the brethren. But I pray you'd help us, Lord, to lay aside those things and forget about those things. Get beyond those things. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. John Noble came to my father's church many years ago. He told this story of his life. He said in the spring of 1945, Dresden fell in Germany. It was the collapse of the Third Reich. But the Russians had come to Dresden. They had raped and pillaged that once imperial city. 5,000 prisoners were taken by the Russians and marched from Dresden beyond the Arctic Circle. John Noble, a young man, and four of his family members were among those 5,000. Only 1,500 made it to the concentration camp. John's father had owned the largest camera company in the world before World War II. John had worked as a young man and, matter of fact, managed that entire great company. John Noble became a slave in Soviet Russia. He said that 900, the mine that he worked in was 900 feet in the ground. He said that they were transported for 3,000 feet to another part, and there's where they would begin to work. He said, down in that dark dungeon of a tunnel, he said, some of us would travel three miles more through caverns and tunnels and dark places. We would have Christian services. We had no Bible. The scriptures that we remembered were just scraps of our memory that some of us had learned at our grandmother's knee. They were not exact, perhaps, but the strength that we received was more than the food that did not fill our bellies. He said, a matter of fact, for breakfast we would have a piece of black bread, a bowl of soup that was more water than vegetable. When we would work all day, come out at night, we would have a meager supper of cabbage soup, small piece of fish. But if we had gone to one of these services, snuck away and refreshed ourselves from scraps of Scripture, 
and hymns that we could remember just portions of, we would be punished. We would be forced to stay another six hours before we were let out of that dungeon workplace. We'd get back to our place of sleep on a little two-by-12 that was just 11 inches wide was our bed. No covering. He said, but those services, in retrospect, were the greatest services he had ever been in his life. He was bartered for during the Eisenhower administration and brought back to America in 1952 and to freedom. Became a very wealthy man and had, of course, a great testimony. A testimony I would think would match verse number two, and that's where I want to spend my thoughts tonight, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Most of us in this room have read the exploits of the saints of God in the 11th chapter. All through there, those great men, Moses and Elijah and David and etc., even some women and some people who were, this world was not even worthy of them, our book says. We could spend our time talking about them. But the writer of the book of Hebrews said, looking unto Jesus. He does not necessarily want us to disregard those people, but he wants us to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Without faith, It is impossible to please God. There's a simple verse in Mark chapter 11 and verse number 22 that says, have faith in God. My father and I were preaching in a large church in a conference in northern Illinois. I was sitting by a preacher friend who was three or four years older than me I'll hold a meeting in his church uh, next month. He's pastored a long, long time in Florida. We were sitting there and my dad preached on that text, have faith in God. He just mentioned anecdotes in his life, maybe a half a dozen. And my mother dying and this and that and other things. My friend was sitting next to me and I noticed out of the corner of my eye and I could also hear but once in a while sobs. I could feel his shoulders as they heaved as he wept, silent. I saw him take his handkerchief and wipe his eyes. The invitation was given conservatively. There were a thousand people there that night. I would say 700 of us were in the altar and up, maybe more. My friend came back and 
we sat beside each other and he turned to me. He said, Tim, that's the greatest sermon I've ever heard in my life. I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't feel like, in my opinion, it was the greatest sermon I ever heard in my life, but a, what a wonderful truth. What a great opportunity that God has invested in his children that we can have faith unassuredly. We can have faith in God. As we step out in whatever exploit that God would put upon our heart, we can have faith in him that he'll be there as an ever-present help. Thank God tonight we don't have to go it alone, child of God. There's no missionary here tonight that has stepped out across the oceans of the world and been alone, for he never leaves us nor forsakes us. He's always there. A.W. Tozer said this. He said, faith will get me anything and take me anywhere. But without faith, there is no approach to God There is no forgiveness. There is no deliverance. There is no salvation. There is no communion. There is no spiritual life at all without faith. In my experience, I think my father, Randy Pike, maybe a couple other men, would be on the Mount Rushmore of faith. Men of faith. Men of prayer. I've told the church, my dad died a year ago, February. They published his prayer list, his last prayer list. I have a copy of it at home. Whoever did it did not pass sixth grade spelling class. There are preachers' names. I know who they are, but I don't know. Maybe my dad couldn't spell good. I don't know. But I know his penmanship wasn't too hot, and maybe that's the reason. But there were 2,991 names on that prayer list. That's a lot of people. And a lot of people that he'd prayed for over the decades had already gone to heaven. And my father would have, as I do on my prayer list, I have your pastor's name and his wife's name. I know the girl's name. I have the grandkids. I know who they are. I don't have to have them written down. So I know I, you could look at my prayer list. You could count up the names, but you could just easily double it or triple it. How many people that I pray for? And my dad prayed. You could probably quadruple it. How many people my father prayed? I preached a meeting last August in Monroe, North Carolina for Brother Bobby Robertson. His wife has dementia. She's been sick for, I don't know, four or five years now. Progressively worse. Hard to get better. Hard to get past that disease. In tears, he told me one day while I was there, he said, your father called me every single day for a year. I was checking up on my wife to see how she was doing health-wise. I, often, I always wondered why it took my dad seven 
to eight hours to pray every day. He was calling up to see if his prayers were getting answered, I guess. I think the greatest expression of faith would be our prayer life. It's practiced in prayer. It shows up in answered prayer. Do we have the faith to believe that God will answer our prayers? I hope you're able ever once in a while to check off on your list. God answered that prayer. God took care of that. God supplied that need. God worked there. There may have been a missionary here tonight. $250 love offering for just showing up. If you knew some missionary in town that talked about coming tonight and he didn't want to, you ought to call him up and tell him, hey, it cost you 250 bucks to stay home and watch television. I don't know how much you got, Brother Tooley, but I'm going to tell you something. I'm not going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm to support you the rest of the year. You got it tonight from me. No, I'm just kidding. That went through my mind too, but it didn't stay there very long. You know, there's very little effort in the Bible to describe faith, a definition of faith. Really, the, the best, if not the only definition, and there's examples, would be found in the 11th chapter in the first verse. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's faith. That's it in 15 words. Describe one of the greatest gifts that God has invested in us in this life. The substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. In the fourth chapter of the book of Romans it said, Abraham believed God. And it was counted unto him for righteousness. He staggered not at the promises of God in unbelief. You say, what was the big deal? He was about a hundred, about his wife was about 90, and God told them they are going to have a baby. I don't think Sarah was overly excited about that. She laughed. <laughs> and then when God confronted her about it, she lied. Sounds like a woman, doesn't it? That was a dumb thing to say, Tim. You lost every woman in the building now. Against hope. The Bible said against hope. He believed in hope. What a wonderful statement. Against hope. He believed in hope. I think these gifts that we experience in our Christian life, these gifts of grace, I think they're according to our proportion of faith. Romans 12 and 6. You get right down to it, the beginning of our Christian life. By grace are ye saved through faith. Amen. Through faith. It's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. So thankful tonight for the gift of God that's received by saving faith. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Our brother gave testimony. He got saved seven years of age, heard a preaching 
at church on a Saturday night. That word of God has the penetrating power to reach down into the lives of people and redeem them by God's grace. I'd rather exercise faith than know the definition of faith. I'd rather have faith than know exactly what it means. Oh, you could have a textbook definition, I suppose, and all of that. But to have faith in God. I was in a little church in a little town in Missouri. I mean a tiny little town. And a church, oh my goodness, they had maybe five rows. I don't think they were as wide as that, your section there as, as any of your section. Just, just five row, tiny little church. And I preached, a, I think, a couple of revivals there. Pastor's no longer there, but I don't think the church is there anymore either. But there was a woman there, a little tiny lady about that tall. I think she was a little bit older than me. Her last name was Mosby, or Mosley, I should say. She was married to a missionary by the name of Charles Mosley. They went to the mission field of New Guinea way back in the late 50s and early 60s. And she wrote a little book, and uh, she gave me a copy of it. She wanted me to reprint it. It just never got worked out, never got done. But it's just such a great little, just great stories of faith in that little family there in New Guinea way back. He told about having a baptizing at a river one day, some converts. And on the other side of the river, there was a warrior watching. When the baptism was over, uh, that native came across, that native warrior came across, and he said in their language, what, what are you doing to these people? And, you know, these are Melanesian people with their own little, uh, what's, what, what do they call that language over there, brother? Pigeon? Pigeon. Had their own little pigeon. Now, they don't look like pigeons or talk like pigeons, but, and it's not spelt that way either. P-I-D-G-I-N, I think. I might be wrong. But he spoke in that language, and as best as, Brother Mosley could tell uh, that man was that these people had been converted to Jesus Christ. They'd been born again, gave a little gospel message to the guy. And the warrior, his name was Waka, W-A-K-A, and he just turned on his heel and walked away after listening. The next day, this man came to their house. And they didn't, you know, you, you know if you're going to go to someone's house today... You might knock on the door. You might push the doorbell. They, don't have, they didn't have those back in, in that day. And when a native would come to someone's house, they would cough. And so he heard this man outside <coughs> coughing and went to the door, and there stood this native. And uh, 
he said, you know, it's pretty hard to knock on a grass hut. You know, it's very difficult. But he said, I want you to tell me that same story you told me yesterday. And so Brother Mosley told him the same story. And about receiving Christ and baptism and all, you know, the story as well as I do. Waka just turned on his heel and left, never said a word. He came eight or ten days in a row and asked to hear, coughed at the door, asked to hear the same story. After the tenth day or so, he said this, I want to ask that Jesus to come into my belly. Now, he meant heart, but that's the only term he knew. I want Jesus to come into my belly. And so Mosley you know, repeated the story, and uh, he, he said, this is the word of God, and the great God of heaven will save you. And they fell about his head, and he listened, prayed, and accepted Jesus. As soon as he's done, he just turned on his feet and walked away. And uh, about a week later, Waka suddenly appeared at the door of their home and coughed a couple times. And he was there with another man. And he said to Mosley, he said, this is my brother Cano. And he said, I'd like to have you tell him the same story that you told me. And probably he'd been talking to his brother for a week or so, and his brother bowed his head and asked Jesus Christ to come into his belly. They both were saved. This is an interesting part. Those two men began to be discipled by Mosley. And after, I don't know, a few weeks or whatever, they said, you know, our names mean bad things in our language. We'd like to have new names. Could you give us new names? So he named the first one that was saved, Andrew. And the second one, he named Peter. Because Andrew first findeth his brother, Peter, and brought him to Christ. This is the end of the story. They came to Charles one day after they grew spiritually, after several months. And they said, brother, God has spoken to our bellies. I love this phrase. <laughs> to carry the sweet talk of Jesus to our own people. Can you teach us so we can go back and tell them? Aren't you thankful that one day someone told you the sweet talk of Jesus. We don't call it that in America. Maybe we ought to. The sweet talk of Jesus. By faith, we receive him, we trust him, we live after we're saved by faith. And I have a faith one day that'll blossom into sight, thank God. I have no doubt this evening where my mother is, I have no doubt this evening where my father is, I have no doubt tonight where my uh, little brother Johnny's wife is, I have no doubt 
where my loved ones who have gone, I have no doubt tonight where they are. By faith, they're with our Father in the glory. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He started it, and he's going to finish it. He who has begun a good work in you will perform it. Now, I'm going to tell you something about getting saved. If you get saved, there will be a performance. And if you just made a profession of faith, and there's no performance, you ought to get born again. Because if he begun a good work, there will be a performance. I mean, if Waka and Cano could get it, these native men probably didn't have enough clothes on to put a shawl around a bird's shoulders when they came to the Lord. God began a good work in them. This thing of faith is vital. Have faith in God. Trust God. Believe God. He doesn't let us down. Not at all. You say, preacher, I've been praying for something for uh, 20 years. Keep praying. Keep praying. I got wayward children. Keep praying. Got a wayward husband. Keep praying. I got loved ones. Keep praying. Faith. I was so moved recently reading this story of John Patton. And your preacher reminded me of this today, and I looked it up through my stuff. He's got, you've got two books about Patton. Have you read either one of them? Tremendous. Tremendous. John Patton was one of 11 children. Listen, Mom and Dad. He's one of 11 children of James and Janet Patton. They were, pi- they were pioneering, mis- he was a pioneering missionary to the South Seas. And he said in that biography, that he was a product of prayer. I love this statement. He said, my father at evening devotions would take the family into the presence of the living Savior. Dad, would you take your family every day into the presence of the living Savior? Instead of the presence of some Hollywood moron, take your children into the presence of the living Savior. What a statement. He said, my father would cry for the conversion of the heathen and for their needs. Forty years later now, John wrote this. He wrote of his departure from home. He was in his early 20s. They lived 40 miles away from the train station. And I quote, my dear father walked with me the first six miles of the way. His counsels, tears, and heavenly conversation are fresh in my heart. Tears are on my cheeks as freely now as then. Whenever memory steals me away to that scene, the last half mile we walked in silence. 
My dad carrying his hat in his hand, as was his custom, and his lips moving in silent prayer. His tears fell fast when our eyes would meet, in looks of which speech was vain. In time, he grasped my hand and said, Son, God bless you. Your father's God prosper you and keep you from all evil. He said, through our tears, we embraced and parted. I watched through blinding tears till its form faded from my gaze. Now rewind just a moment. Two missionaries had gone to the New Hebrides in 1831, John Williams and John Harris. They were both killed and eaten by cannibals. Patton said this about their death, their murder, and their demise. Their death baptized these islands in blood. Christ was telling the world that he claimed them for his own. April the 16th, 1858, John Patton, 33 years of age, and his wife and child sailed for the New Hebrides. The very first night they arrived in Tana in November of 1858. It's a long voyage. It was horrid, he said. At the spring where we got our water, two native tribes had engaged in battle and their blood filled the spring. Six men from the neighboring tribe were killed and eaten on the spot. The next night was even worse. That village where the six men had been killed, they took the six wives of those six men and they killed and ate them at the spring. In March of 1859, just six months after their arrival, could you imagine the first two nights you are there, you're just kids, just fledgling missionaries. And Twelve people are killed and eaten. And the spring is filled with their blood. Six months after their arrival, he buried his wife and son, died of a fever. He said, stunned by this dreadful loss, but for Jesus I'd have gone mad. In 1864, he married again. He learned the language. He reduced it to written form and taught the people. And there on that island alone, there were 3,500 cannibals that came to Jesus Christ. Amen. By faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. I want to encourage you, church. There's just two more nights. Tuesday and Wednesday, to somehow encourage your faith, develop your faith, build your faith, that your loved ones and your friends and perhaps a neighbor or two, you could get them to this place. And inside the four walls of this place that's been dedicated to the preaching of the gospel and the praise of our dear Lord, the Holy Ghost of God could reach down in the lives of some sinners and see them saved. Listen, if God could grow two native 
cannibals from New Guinea or 3,500 cannibals from the New Hebrides. Out of that bunch, 133 of those men became preachers of the gospel. God could do that in those aboriginal people. Just think what God could do in America. What God could do in our loved ones and our lives and people that we know. It would be great even in this building tonight. There'd be some young man that would somehow pick up the mantle of the mission field or someone would say in their heart, I believe God's called me to preach and they would surrender. Listen, you'll never make a mistake surrendering to God. It's a great thing to do. I'm thankful and I'm done, but I'm, and maybe you're thankful I'm done, but I'm, th- I'm thankful that a plastering contractor from a little town called Elsie, Michigan, who really had lost everything in the Depression, and trying to just keep food on the table. Surrendered in 1945. I went to Bible college in Fort Worth, Texas, under J. Frank Norris. Became a preacher of the gospel. And my father went there in 1946 and graduated in the spring of 19 or fall of 1948. And God has put it in the hearts and lives of. I've been doing this a long time, and there's been there's people who've done it a whole lot longer than me and seen a whole lot more than I have. But have faith in God. God can do anything but fail. Father, we thank you for tonight. I pray that the exhortation from the lips of thy servant tonight would find fertile ground in men's hearts in ladies' lives young people and old alike God we would have faith faith even as the grain of mustard seed that can move mountains I pray it in Jesus' name